Every SaaS company plays for high stakes. But what does it take to dominate the market right now? Welcome to Paris Talks Marketing, the podcast where we dive deep into the latest trends and strategies in SaaS marketing that are really working today. I'm your host, Paris, and I'm excited to share with you some big news. We've recently rebranded, and we're bringing the fun with a new format that's jam-packed with value. We're now featuring two to three guests per episode. Our guests are SaaS CMOs, founders, and specialists, and we discuss one trendy topic in the industry per episode. Our first theme is first-party data in marketing, and we have some amazing guests lined up for you. That's the beautiful thing about first-party data strategy is that you've got all of this insight about these people and being able to segment it, activate on it. It's really where the magic happens. We'll be diving deep into the importance of first-party data, how to collect it, and how to use it to improve your marketing efforts. Make sure you're with customer data and first-party data and specifically that you're kind of working across the organization because otherwise you're just setting up more silos and that's what people have been doing for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Our first theme, first-party data in marketing, is just the beginning of our deep dive journey into the nitty-gritty of what strategies really work in the SaaS industry. Trust me, you won't want to miss it. Tune in and start dominating your market today. Okay, so now I can get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Paris Talks Marketing Season 2. And we're on the theme of first-party data. Today, my guest is Anne-Marie Wills and Matt Parisi. Anne-Marie is the co-founder and CEO of Leverage Lab, a first-party data consultancy specializing in CDP technology. That is customer data platform. Anne-Marie brings more than 20 years of experience helping organizations maximize their data competency and opportunity. During her career, Anne-Marie has conceptualized, built, and launched numerous first-party data infrastructure initiatives and products for notable companies like Time Magazine, Adweek, and Vance Publishing. Anne-Marie is passionate about helping brands, large and small, see the opportunity and power in their data. She believes that we are living in a critical evolutionary period where embracing first-party data to create customer centricity not only drives improved business outcomes, but creates true, authentic brand relationships. It's the first-party data revolution, and Anne-Marie is here for it. Welcome to the show, Anne-Marie. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ferris. It's great to be here. Matt Parisi is the director of product marketing at Telium, which is one of the original SaaS vendors offering a customer data platform for managing first-party data. Prior to Telium, Matt was a digital marketing strategist for marketing agencies and other SaaS businesses. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, so if, if we're in the midst of a first-party data revolution, what is it replacing? Anne-Marie, what is getting phased out, hopefully for the better? Yeah, well, third-party data, or what I like to call the easy button that many brands have sort of depended on over the years. We are in the midst of what some people call the cookie-pocalypse or the third-party cookie deprecation age. Uh, it's already started, and by the time that Google sort of makes the final change by deprecating cookies in the Chrome browser, there's a whole class of sort of dependency around data that marketers have, have really come to depend on over the past, let's say, 20 years. So it really does require a change in thinking and a change, of, a change in how we think about marketing. Yeah, I agree with you. Do you believe that Google is really going to sunset those cookies next year because they've been kicking the can down the down the curb or down the road for <laughs> a while now? Are they going to really go through with it on next year, do you think? 
I think there's too much pressure from consumers uh, around privacy to not do something substantive. What's been talked about to date is the blocking of third-party cookies. And I think, you know, the marketplace has just been very slow to react to that. And I believe that's why Google has kicked the can, as you said, down the road, um, is that the marketplace really hasn't taken it seriously and sort of looked at alternative methods for their marketing activation and use of use of data and haven't really taken first party data strategy uh, as seriously as they should. So yeah, it would cause a massive disruption would have caused a massive disruption at the point that they originally decided to do it. Well, I I still think it was going to be highly disruptive because I believe that a lot of the that sweet return on ad spend that so many advertisers enjoy is fundamentally based on third-party cookie tracking. And when that goes away, it's hard to predict how things are going to change. And I think that explains why a lot of people aren't really getting ready for it, but rather they're going to be reacting to it after the fact. Most marketers in SaaS understand what third-party cookie tracking is and why it's important. And they also understand what first-party data is. But I don't think they truly appreciate how much of a data loss will occur when third-party cookie tracking goes away and the importance of replacing that data loss or that signal loss with first-party data. And I do think that's going to be one of the biggest opportunities next year when third-party cookies are replaced. And Matt, what do you think SaaS businesses need to know most about first-party data? Well, I mean, I think it's becoming kind of the new currency. So, if you know, if you want to be able to deliver personalized experiences in kind of the digital or the offline context, first-party data is the thing that's going to allow you to do that. So by having great control over your data and access to the data, you basically can take kind of the customer experience into your own hands and deliver something that, you know, customers will value and enjoy. And, you know, I think more more important than ever, uh, a lot of marketing departments haven't taken direct kind of control and management of the data. They've kind of allowed their vendors, whether those are MarTech vendors or agencies or other types of technology providers to manage the data for them on their behalf, essentially. You know, if you think about like DMPs, for example, you Mm -hmm. go to a DMP, you buy an audience segment off the shelf and you're able to deliver a pretty intelligent experience off of that data. But with privacy and, you know, technology changes like third party cookie loss, you know, first party data is kind of the the way that you're able to uh, deliver that experience now versus, you know, buying it off the shelf, which I think is is better for everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the barriers to getting started with first party data is where are you going to store that data and how are you going to activate it? Well, historically, there's been something called a DMP, a data management platform. And that has been for the last 10 or 15 years in online advertising, the place where third-party cookie-based data gets stored for advertising targeting. Now, the DMP is giving way to something called a CDP, which is a customer data platform, which is based on first-party data. And I believe that that's going to be the place where most first-party data out into the future gets stored and activated. And of course, you still have a data warehouse which is also a place where you can store all of your first-party data. Let's handle some of these acronyms for some of our listeners who might not be aware. What is a DMP and what is a CDP? Sure. So a DMP is a data management platform. So basically a, a platform that allows you to deliver personalized ads. It's mostly for, they were mostly focused on the online advertising um, channel. So display advertising. Um, some of them, 
enabled you to use their data for other purposes, maybe email or um, some other channels that they might, you know, give you access to. But um, yeah, DMP is a data management platform. Mm-hmm. And data management platforms are all about accumulating third-party cookie, sort of anonymous site visitors. And so there was a real, you know, frustration, I think, with marketers. And they're like, I've got this very, you know, solid first-party data view of my customer through my customer relationship management platform. I've got all of these anonymous site visitors, a little bit of insight about what they visited on my site, but I don't really have a way to like bring it all together. And that's where the CDP emerged. Yeah, and then CDP, and, and then how is it how is it different? The customer data platform really does sort of three important things. Um, I like to characterize it like it's a veneer that sort of lays across your technology stack, you know, like an oil slick on water. It sort of lays across everything. It ingests all of the customer data across those various different technologies into the platform, and it resolves the identities of individuals within that that entire data ecosystem. And I I love that oil slick analogy. So it builds these really persistent and sticky first party data profiles. Even if you're an anonymous visitor, it's still sort of tracking you individually and um, consolidating all of your behavior. Then you've got this really thick, persistent profile of that individual across everything that they do. CDP is basically, instead of managing third-party cookies, which are kind of the way that people were targeted on the open internet, it's first-party data. So it's the data that you have control over. So data on like your website or in your email program or engaging with your ads or using your mobile app. Um, so basically your your owned venues um, and the engagement data from even non-owned venues are what a customer data platform will manage. And a customer data platform will basically construct a customer profile that you can use to basically intelligently orchestrate customer experience across whatever channels you might have integrated. Um, and typically, typically companies will have their advertising channels integrated. If you already have a data warehouse, do you need a CDP? Let's try to unpack that a little bit. A data warehouse is where you can store all types of data, not only first-party customer data, but all sorts of other data. And it lacks the activation feature. So once you have stored that data, you need other tools to move data in and out of the data warehouse. A CDP focuses more on pure customer data, the customer experience data, and it also has the ability to activate the data by flowing it out and pushing it out to other platforms where it can be put to use. Can you help me understand also how a CDP can work alongside a data warehouse and what are the two distinct roles that each play? Yeah, so traditionally data warehouses have been, you know, a store of data. They are a place where, you know, you kind of get all your data together, which on a certain mm-hmm. level sounds a lot like a CDP because, you know, your CDP, you also put a lot of customer data in. Um, I will say data warehouses typically have a greater universe of data that they deal with, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, first, you know, CDPs are kind of dealing with customer experience data and trying to do those kinds of things, whereas data warehouses might have ERP data, transactional data, might might have MDM data, the data that's like, you know, about a person that's very sensitive, like social security number or addresses. So data warehouses could have basically any type of data in them, but CDPs tend to be where 
where companies will build a customer profile or a view of the customer that they use for engagement and analysis purposes. But a lot of CDPs are also kind of work alongside a data warehouse. So a lot of times data warehouses will be used for like ML projects or analysis projects. And the insights that come out of that analysis will need to be activated or, you know, basically brought to the tools that you're using to engage your customers. So a CDP is purpose built for that job, basically getting data from wherever it is and delivering it in the channel where you might be engaging your customer. Whereas data warehouses tend to be these big stores of data where there's a lot of analysis happening. So CDPs mm -hmm. can help with the activation of the data from the data warehouse because they tend to be more performant systems that were purpose built so that business users, you know, could basically access the insights within them and put them mm -hmm. to use, you know, in, the, in yeah. those channels. Because yeah, a lot, a lot of times marketers and marketing departments don't have direct access to the data warehouse itself or the data warehouse might be you know, when you talk to a lot of people, they're very, they're very protective of their data warehouse. They don't yeah. want to be doing too risky things in there. So a CDP can kind of live alongside a data warehouse, deliver a lot of value and activation, but also can, you know, in the case of Telium, it can clean and collect data for the purposes of putting it in the data warehouse too. So it's kind of a two-way street. Do you think that CDPs are, are steadily replacing DMPs? Yeah, I think they are. I think a lot of DMPs are just being sunset just because, you know, they were built to operate on third party cookies and that technology just won't, you know, won't be around, at, you know, once Chrome mm -hmm. deprecates them in 2024. So yeah, I do think CDPs are one of the major things replacing DMPs. CDPs and first party data are, are a big one. Matt, that was a really helpful description because I, I, a lot of the, the companies that I talk to about first-party data, they're asking questions about like where should we invest in a data warehouse and also a CDP and how do they work together? And I think another roadblock that I see with a lot of these companies is really they understand conceptually the value in bringing all their data into one place. But what they lack a little bit is actually the maybe the imagination for how to really action that data. One of the unique aspects of a CDP is that it has the ability to activate your first party data. So it's really not enough to get all of your first party data in one place. It's very important to figure out how you're going to use it and how you're going to activate that data. And that is where a CDP can be very, very helpful. And I, and I understand that the data warehouse is simply just a massive store. A CDP is helping you to activate that data. How do you all at Telium help those customers who understand the importance of it, but are still a little bit stuck about how to really take concrete steps to make it valuable? Yeah, it's a... CDPs have a pretty grand promise. You know, there's a lot of different things you can use a CDP for. Our approach with our customers is basically identify your most the most valuable part of your customer journey. Like what part of your customer journey are you trying to impact? Immediately from that point, figuring out, you know, what part of the customer journey you want to impact and how we can work backwards to define what we call the data layer that you need to support that use case. So Telium is a, you know, what we call a data first um, CDP. So we basically focus very much on kind of getting the data right, like as it's collected, because we think that if you get data right as it's collected, you can solve a lot of the downstream you know, data management headaches that you would that you would otherwise have. So our methodology is that we define a, a use, we define a data layer, we make sure you have access to that data layer, and that it's connected to the technologies that you want to impact. And then basically, we'll stack up those use cases across the customer journey. 
eventually, once you have five or six or, you know, more use cases going, you'll typically have pretty good control over data along the full customer journey. So you'll have a pretty solid view of customer behavior. And that's when orchestration kind of unlocks. So, you know, typically we like to start pretty simple. You know, can you, you know, understand who a customer is across, you know, all of these different venues that you want to engage your customer? And if you can't identify who the customer is, you know, that's kind of step one to solving a lot of, you know, issues with marketing that are just, you know, based on just like the last couple page views someone might had, not, not the full customer relationship, you know, including everything like what products you own. You know, what's your customer lifetime value? You know, have you bought something recently or, you know, was it a long time ago that you bought? You know, insights like these can make a huge difference on customer experience. And a lot of times, you know, companies need to get the base, basics right, you know, kind of get the foundation going and then you can add to it, you know. So, yeah. so you know, when we when we talk to customers starting with customer data platforms, we all marketers know their goals, right? So, you you know what you want ultimately to do. So, so start from your, you know, start from your goal, work backwards to, you know, what channels you have to kind of support that goal and then and then start going to work and, you know, making sure, can I understand the customer? Okay, once you can understand the customer, then start understanding some more advanced things about them, like what, what products they own, you know, what might be the logical next, you know, best action to take in their customer experience. Um, and then, you know, you can, you can basically build on, build on from there. So it's not too grand. And if you do it the right way, you know, you'll get operational efficiency out of it too. So it's not only about the unlocking of personalized experiences, but it's, it's the operational efficiency, which is really what makes this, this work. Who typically who in the organization is the owner of the CDP? Is it somebody in marketing or is it, is it more of a CTO? It does vary. Um, and I will also say it varies you know, based on the CDP you're looking at. So I, you know, I just mentioned that, that Telium's a, a data first CDP. So, you know, we really think that data is kind of like the common language of the business. And we, with our customers, we really work to get kind of three groups together. A lot, they're called different things in different companies, but at the end of the day, they, you know, the responsibilities that they have will, will kind of reveal what their goals are. So you kind of got the analytics and the insights group. They tend to be in the middle. They kind of see the technical nature of everything, but they also know that you need to get like business friendly insights out of it. Then you got the business, which tends to be like marketing or customer experience, you know, the ones who are customer facing. And then you got the development side of the house. Um, that tends to be IT or a pro, you know, might be a product team. Depends, you know, on the organization, like I said. But those three groups are mm -hmm. the three groups that we tend to think need to work together. There are some also, also some other groups that should be mixed in, like legal might be one you want to work in. Privacy um, is becoming more and more important these days. But out of those three groups, we find that usually it's with Telium, it's about 50% of the time it's it's a marketing, you know, organization or a customer experience team that's in charge. About 25% of the time, it might be the analytics or the insights. And then 25% of the time, it's more the, the IT, CIO, CD, you know, chief digital officer, um, that might be in charge. So it varies company by company, but I will say no matter who's in charge, it is a, it's really important to work together with the other kind, with the other sides of the business, because otherwise you're just setting up more silos and that's what people have been doing for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. So just, you know, make sure you're with customer data and first party data and specifically that you're kind of working across the organization. Yeah. 
Um, Anne-Marie, what do you see? You're consulting lots of brands who are trying to make this transition in a more of a proactive rather than a reactive way. So mm -hmm. how, how are you working with, with your clients to help them plan ahead and be ready for this and, and transition to first party data? Yeah, it's an awesome question. So um, we kind of see the first party data strategy transformation, if you will, uh, sort of through three lenses. The first is through the data lens, you know, the organization and sort of getting your first party data house in order is job number one. You know, many organizations that we work with have first party data literally living in dozens of different technologies across their ecosystem. Uh, we've got clients who have multiple email platforms, multiple branded websites. They have multiple transaction systems, point of sale systems, um, marketing automation platforms. There's customer data literally living in you know all of these silos across their organization. So the first job is really building a, a de-siloed sort of data ecosystem. And there's lots of approaches to how to do that. The customer data platform is one approach that we really leverage with our customers. And it it is a really empowering technology to bring all of that customer data together and build sort of a comprehensive and consolidated customer data set. Mm -hmm. Job number two is enabling marketers to then segment all of those, you know, really unique behavioral insights, all of those people into compelling audience segmentation. And that's a really, you know, significant component of a CDP. And then thirdly, the activation or the ability to push those audiences out into channels where you can then build campaigns or deliver messages or even to engage differently on your website is kind of the third hallmark capability. Okay. So first is to aggregate it. Second is to segment that data for into audiences. And then third is to then push it back out to add platforms. Well, step number three is really the most interesting for me. But yeah. let's, let's talk about step number one first, which is the aggregation part. In some of the limited work that we've done in this area of aggregating data into a data warehouse, this has actually been the most time-consuming part of the process. Mm -hmm. Well, what is really involved here? I know that there's this term called ETL, uh, mm -hmm. extract, transform, and load. That might refer more to a, to a data warehouse. But what are some of the challenges people face with step one uh, when it comes to identifying where does all the first party data live and then actually piping it in to a CDP? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's pretty it's a pretty easy exercise to sort of audit your organization for where your customer data lives. You know, there's the technologies that you use to engage and market with your customers. There's your website, there's, you know, your email platforms, maybe transactional systems. So doing that kind of first big step of saying, OK, here's all the places where customer data lives. That's that's a pretty easy exercise. And then you mentioned data warehouses, because I think that's a really important conversation here, because the CDP marketplace as a technology you know, category is starting to kind of barf, bifurcate. You know, organizations are investing in their data warehouse environment and owning their data and creating this consolidated place where all of their customer data lives and they want to leverage it. So there are new sort of classes of tech in the CDP space that are coming along really meant to enable that data warehouse environment, not to recreate the wheel. But you know, back to your original question, the typical approach that people have is like, 
bring it all in. Like we need it all in the data warehouse, just pour everything into the data warehouse environment. And to really drive marketing outcomes and to personalize customer experience, you don't need it all. There's definitely a, a boil the ocean approach that a lot of people will go down that path and kind of get lost in the sauce, if you will, you know, of building that data warehouse environment because they don't have the realization that there's really a limited set of data that you need in order to drive personalization at scale. Okay. And then step two is the, the segmentation, which to me, that sounds like the most fun for a marketer because there you can, you can be creative. Yes. Can you walk us through maybe even an, an example or two of how once you've, got, once you've got all of the rich profiles built, how do you even start to think about the ways that you want to segment your audiences? And the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, of course, segment them by value. You might want to have your, your most valuable segments down to the least valuable. But what are some other ways that you can even think about segmentation? Yeah, no, I, I love that you said that because we, over the years, we've been in the CDP space and building first party data strategy for customers since we originated the company about almost seven years ago. And it took us a while to sort of understand that there are really four sort of dimensions to your customer data that matter when it comes to driving value. Um, and the first one is what you just said, which is, what is this individual in my ecosystem worth to me? You know, a lot of people talk about customer journey mapping and it's always like, well, here's, you know, Mary Debbie and she's a 35 year old female and she has two kids and this is what she likes to do. And this is how she will journey through my customer experience. But we see it really through what is that individual worth to you? You know, at the very top of that customer experience is a first time visitor. So they're not worth much to you, but they are worth something to you when they become maybe known or they give you their email address and we call that becoming known mm -hmm. or they opt into some sort of additional promotion or they make a purchase, a first time purchase. And then it becomes what's the next step? You know, is it driving a second purchase? Is it creating a, a subscription offer? Is it, you know, whatever that next set of value delivery is for the organization? So that's kind of the first dimension that we look at for a customer is like, what is the value delivery? And then the second dimension that we look at is engagement. You know, there are people that come to your website, they will never come back, they will never buy from you, yet we spend as an industry millions probably billions of dollars chasing them around the internet with retargeting ads. So is it, you know, we look through this lens of, is this somebody who's engaging deeply? Are they engaging frequently? Are they one and done? Um, and then we build sort of a matrix of engagement. What does engagement look like for an individual organization? Like we have a large B2B organization that sells technology and engagement to them is consuming content on their website you know, looking deeper at white papers, case studies, testimonials. Um, for an e-commerce company, it could be, you know, a product view. So it's really dependent on the organization to sort of lay out that engagement uh, point of view. And then the third that we look at is what we call affinity. And that's really how interested are people in the products? You know, what product interests do they have? Like we have a ticketing customer and obviously they're selling thousands of different types of ticketed events. So being able to say, 
hey, Paris has been on the website, he's deeply engaged, and he is showing, he's never bought before, but he's showing interest in hockey tickets. You know, being able to have that insight in the moment and then be able to act on it is really a powerful thing. And that's where the performance improvements come. So we start with those three sort of dynamic points of view, and that helps with the segmentation. That's what drives the segmentation. Okay. That's a great framework. So to summarize, it's it's first based on value, and second is engagement, and last is affinity. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, I suppose there are, there are some common threads there as well. I mean, probably the highest value segments are the ones who are most engaged and who have affinity with maybe the top or, or most pro- profitable um, products yeah. or services. So now it sounds like we're, we're into step three, which is how can you effectively then push out those segments mm-hmm. out of the CDP into the ad platforms for activation? Yep. And I really love the, the, the lookalike audiences and, and with Google or the, the custom audiences. In our experience with this, what most of our clients do is they simply feed an entire audience of all of their customers. And they, yeah. they'll create a Facebook lookalike audience, or they might have a LinkedIn matched audience or a Google ads uh, customer match audience. Yeah. But it's simply all of their customers and there's, yes. there's low value, mid value, high value. And so there's not much segmentation there. Yep. And some of them are restricted by the volume of data as well. Yes, very true. Um, one thing that we're working on on the data science side is the what we're attempting to do is to predict lifetime value mm-hmm. very early in the journey. This all sounds great in theory, but how about some real life examples? Well, in the next episode, we're going to be talking to Hop Online's data scientist about a particular solution for first party data, which is predictive LTV. So you definitely want to hang in for that episode that's coming after this one. And Matt, can you walk us through an example of one of your customers that, that had a really meaningful implementation, a really great success story? So let's Let's imagine it's a SaaS company and sitting on a mountain of data that was relatively not being put to good use, first party data. Yeah. And they, they went through an implementation. They had a specific use case or maybe a set of use cases. And the end result was something really tangible and measurable. Could you walk us through an example? And, and maybe you don't even have to name the exact company, but to help us all imagine really yeah. like a real story yeah, about def- how it can go. Yeah, definitely. Um I'll take you through one that kind of goes through the full kind of gamut of all kind of the benefits that they were able to unlock. So we work with, we have a verticalized product called Telium for Pharma. And uh, we work some, with some of the largest pharmaceutical companies in, in the world, which tends to be a pretty sweet spot for Telium because um, we tend to be in industries where data is very central to your business model or data is data is regulated. Um, so you have this high need for control for it. So so we, ha- we work with one of the top three pharma companies in the world. They basically have like over a hundred drug brands. <laughs> um, out there so it's like uh and they exist globally 
So as you can imagine, every country kind of has their own set of regulations. Every brand has its own view of the customer using its own technology. So the first thing we did was just like took an audit of kind of all the technology that they're that they're using and all the venues that they want to have access to data from. And we just kind of we started with tag management and setting up kind of the API infrastructure so that all their technologies were kind of talking to each other. Um, we have a tag we have a tag management system and an API hub kind of as the infrastructure for the CDP for data for data mm -hmm. collection for the CDP. So basically, just got all the websites talking to each other, and that solved huge operational headaches <laughs> um, across the business and, uh, you know, kind of took care of a lot of regulatory compliance and consent, you know, issues that they were dealing with, you know, headed into this world where first party data and privacy is kind of like the entry requirement to engaging with customers. So first, just take take care of the, the operational mm -hmm. inefficiencies of of leveraging their technologies, of making sure the data was flowing to where it needed to go. Second from there was all about finding, basically finding audiences and audience segments that were valuable. And for the pharmaceutical company, this meant finding um, HCPs, healthcare professionals that were within their customer base that are the ones that are responsible basically for delivering the advice to, you know, for the ultimate usage of their product. So in a lot of respects, it's very, very similar to what SaaS businesses are dealing with in that it's B2B. Um, you're trying to find very important people <laughs> at, you know, you know, smaller businesses around a lot of places. So, you know, just given the global nature of the business, and the reg, you know, the regulations they were dealing with, it's very hard, you know, like just to have access to that data and get a view of that data and identify these healthcare professionals that are in that data set and then deliver them an experience. So with the pharma company, that meant basically making sure that they were able to act on their leads very quickly and with intelligence. So um, basically, after someone fills out a form, very similar to a to a SaaS business, you know, that that form, but also all of their other, you know, all of the other insights that they might have had from that, you know, what the HCP was investigating on the drug website was handed off to a sales rep, you know, and ultimately that sales rep is able to follow up with the or, you know, with the healthcare professional and you know, delivering experience and recommendations on drugs specific to what they had engaged with, you know, in that most recent session where they, you know, where they requested some information, but also, you know, based on the whole historical context of that relationship that they've been, that they've been having, and they were able to do that, you know, within an hour, you know, being able to call back mm -hmm. that person with all of that intelligence um, so quickly. I think led to something like a 40 or 50% increase on, you know, the engagement that they were able to get out of that program, which, you know, I'm sure, you know, sales department, people working in sales departments out there can sympathize with. It's, it can be difficult to call people um, and, and, you know, get them to, you know, not only not be upset that you're calling, but also like appreciate that you're coming to them with these insights and bringing information, you know, information to them. And of course, it's always better if that experience then feeds back in to the digital experience that that, you know, that that individual would have once they engaged online again, whether that, you know, whether that's through an email um, or delivering them a personalized experience on the website um, once once they come back. So so, at, you know, at the end of the day, what it's all about is integrating technologies, making sure they're all speaking the same language that will give you that view of the customer. And then you can use that view of the customer 
to basically segment your audience and figure out, okay, how can I deliver an experience to this person that's unique, deliver an experience to this person that, that's unique, you know, even even bridging online, online and offline. So that's kind of a, you know, kind of gives you kind of a sense for something that's very, you know, focused on like a conversion event. Um, but you would, you know, you would, of course, want to build out the experience on either side of that. Um, where, you know, there's something that picks up the ball and continues that engagement, but hopefully there was also something that they were doing in their advertising, you know, with that data to appeal to that person, to bring them in and get them to fill out the form. So, you know, you can, you can kind of see how you, you start from, you know, something that's really important and then you build out on either side of it. Um, and it's all done with the view of the customer that leads into your segmentation strategy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Excellent advice. Now we're going to be talking about how do you really get value from a CDP and from first party data. And we're going to talk to our guests about the ways that they get value. I think what it comes down to is that holy grail in advertising of personalization at scale. The ability to speak to a particular user or a prospect based specifically on their needs and with an understanding of how much potential value that individual has for your company. Personalization at scale. One question that, that we get a lot also is how much data is really necessary to, to justify or get value from a CDP? Yeah. Um, how would you answer that question? How much is the minimum required amount of data? Right. So we, we really have a point of view around this. We call it enterprise customer data infrastructure. It's not a very sexy name, but it's essentially a really lightweight data model that requires data from, again, all of your customer data sources. You know, we want to inform it with everything that you know about your customers across your ecosystem, but it can be quite lightweight. You know, we're really looking for the behavioral signals, you know, the product interest, the product purchasing, the on-site behaviors, how people are reacting to campaign you know, messaging and, and uh, activation at the user level, but then also at the segment level. I mean, in paid campaign, you know, like in paid channels, you can't really talk to people one-on-one. You can talk to people one-on-one anonymously, but you can't really say, hey, I'm going to follow Paris discreetly. (laughs) I know him. I'm going to follow him across the web with a message. Um, So what we do is we get as close as we can get from uh, the segmentation point of view. So if you are, let's say, in a certain audience Let's say you're in a certain stage of your customer journey, you have interest in a certain product, you're worth a certain amount to us. You may be bundled in with other people that are similar to you at a segment level. And so we're also bringing in insights for how your segment behaves, you know, your cohort group. So we're really infusing into this data, lightweight data model, everything we really need in order to do personalization at scale. And it can be just a subset, really, of a larger sort of data warehouse environment. It can be something that we stand up as a unique construct. Uh, again, not boiling the ocean, just doing what we need in order to drive that personalized experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, also on the ad spend side, I presume that to really get value, you need to be a pretty significant spender as well in the ad platforms. Is there any kind of minimum that you would recommend on ad spend? Yeah, you know, there's really not, I, I think that's probably the biggest miss on uh, that a lot of people have is mm-hmm. that 
I've got to be spending a million dollars a year on Facebook in order to get value from using this kind of segmentation. We have very small challenger brands that we work with that are getting enormous impacts on the spend that they do have just by using their first party data. So I can't, I mean, we've got customers that spend from $1,500 a month to $15,000 a month in an individual channel and beyond that even. So, you know, what we hear mostly from our customers is less about the budget and more about if it's working, we're yeah. going to spending in it. I think that we hear so much frustration from folks, you know, about so much that has changed and especially like in the social platforms that their dollars just aren't going as far as they used to go. Mm -hmm. And so being able to sort of come in and put this framework and this foundation in place and then teach and educate or even do for our customers about how to use it to drive the paid campaign side of the business is where we see the fastest and quickest return on investment for the whole darn thing, yeah. you know. We actually have a something we call our demonstration of value, which sort of guarantees 150% return on advertising spend improvement mm -hmm. from the first party data methodology that I'm talking oh, okay. about. Yeah. 150% improvement of ROAS? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that, well, that's more than doubling. It's improvement. Uh, improvement yeah. From wherever you are now. Okay. Mm -hmm. oh, that's amazing. And do you, do you all have any, uh, any data scientists at Leverage Lab that get involved in this? We do, we do, but it, it definitely evolves. You know, like we have customer, we have a, you know, quick service restaurant customer that is going through a digital transformation. So they're essentially, you know, like most QSRs are, they're thinking about how am I gonna build a customer experience when it's happening in mobile ordering and web ordering and kiosk ordering. And so what we've done is we've helped them leverage their customer data to create a better, more personalized experience through recommendations. So, you know, we've got all of this first party data, all of the transactional insight. We can deliver, you can deliver a more personalized experience through a personalized recommendation. Buying this, this is the great counterpart to that based on your behavior, not just what I want to pair with it yeah. um, as the brand. So yeah, we our data science team is really innovating and looking for ways to further leverage customer data to create those, you know, really more bespoke and deeper, richer sort of engagements. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the beautiful thing about first party data strategy is that You've got all of this insight about these people and what they've done with you and what they're worth to you and what they're interested in and or not interested in for that matter. And being able to segment it, activate on it, it's really where the magic happens. It's it's delivering that message to the right audience. Um, and we see it over and over again. We've had campaigns that we've seen that we've done or directed that have had a thousand X improvement on return on advertising yeah. spend. I imagine this is also very powerful for a campaign type like Performance Max in Google Ads. I'm Absolutely. sure you're aware because Performance Max, for those listeners who are not aware, this is a new campaign type in Google Ads where you no longer have to select keywords and build out ad groups and manage things at the keyword level, but you have one campaign across YouTube, display, search, also uh, G Gmail and the Google Discover feed. So you're no longer placing campaigns in each of the channels. You're just feeding creative assets and letting Google decide how to structure the, the customer's journey towards conversion. Yes. And so then it becomes all about audiences and creative, but first audiences. Right. And um, I think that Performance Max is probably the future of Google Ads. 
mm-hmm. because it, it's it, like the other uh, ad platforms, it's it's almost fully automated and it, and it shifts the, the entire theory of optimization away from keyword build out and management of, of keywords to audience building segmentation and creative. Yep. So um, I imagine that having a strategy that where you deploy CDP segments into mm-hmm. performance max can be really powerful. Absolutely. Have you had any experience with that? We, well, our campaign strategist, Jake, is building out our roadmap for, for Performance Max, but okay. absolutely. I mean, I think it's really interesting to see, you know, where the platforms are going. You know, essentially what you just said, you know, Google is enabling uh, this really high performance model that can be used against custom audiences, you know, that's the thing that's never going to go away. In my opinion, you know, if you've got customer relationship with, you know, someone who's opted in, engaged, buying from you, that door remains open across all platforms to this day, you know, like nothing has changed about that. In fact, you know, Amazon is coming on strong, obviously retail media network, but to this, where we sit right now, there's a, an open door for bringing your customer data there to Amazon um, and being able to communicate in that platform with your customers. But the primary models that people are using for advertising there are contextual. So there's still even more like opportunity that exists on all of these platforms to extend the use of your first party data and get more and better engagement. So yeah, I, I feel like what's happened with Performance Max, all of the opportunity that exists, you know, in, in relatively new environments like Amazon, there's just, mm-hmm. there's a world of opportunity when you have your first party data organized and available to you in a, in a really compelling way. Yeah, great. Well, this has been fantastic, Anne-Marie. Thanks so much for being with us today, Anne-Marie. We learned so much today. Oh my gosh, it's been a pleasure. It is great to be on. Thanks. My little tagline is I'm here for the first party data revolution. Our manifesto on our site says everything that we believe about people should be treated as people um, online and not as cookies. That's great. So Matt, it's been great talking to you and thanks for enlightening us. We covered some really interesting things about really the, the importance of first party data especially with the coming sunsetting of third-party cookies. What is this whole new emerging category of CDPs, customer data platforms, how it can be really, really helpful in bringing together the entire end-to-end customer experience and building lifetime value for SaaS companies and all other types of companies. So thanks very much for the time, Matt, and hope to see you next time. Thank you. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.